This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. In so many other letters, Paul starts off saying, I hope God, give, I'm praying that God would give you grace, God would give you peace, I would get, that God would do this, that, and the other. Paul starts his letter off right off the bat saying, you've got everything you need. To the church, you've got everything you need. You've been blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. According, here's why. According as he has chosen us in him, in him, in Christ, he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him. Now, please notice what it's saying. It's saying God chose you. God chose you before he ever created the universe. Before he ever made the sun, before he ever made the moon, he had a plan. And this whole thing is about God's plan of redemption. He had a plan for mankind. Now, whatever was here before, and the Bible gives us some hints about the, the, the uh, world that existed before Adam and Eve. It tells us that there was some kind of world, some kind of civilization, trafficking and business and other things that were taking place that, uh, that Satan had some means of authority and he decided he was going to rebel against God and exalt his throne above God's throne and he took a third of the angels with him and so forth. The timing on that and when all that happened, all that we know is it happened before Adam and Eve. It could have happened a little bit before Adam and Eve. It could have happened billions of years before Adam and Eve. We don't know. But whatever that was, God had a plan for you before any of that happened. It's almost like God had some trial runs. Because the Bible says that before the foundation of the world, before he ever made anything, before there was anything that in existence. Now, this is where it gets hard for me in my little peanut brain. But there had to have been some point in time, if it was just for a second, there had to be some period of time that God existed that nothing else did. He is the pre-existent creator of everything. So there had to be at least one moment where there was nothing in existence except him. Let's imagine that that was just one second. In that one second, God devised a plan for man and his redemption. So what did he do? And he made whatever he made. Adam and Eve was not his first run. What was there before that? I have no idea. The Bible talks about ages to come. The Bible talks about in, in uh, Ephesians, well, let me read it to you. Ephesians chapter 2, it's verse uh, 7. Let me back up to verse 6 since we read, read that before. And has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Now, most of us think of this age, and when this age is over, it's, it was done, it's all over, except for us sitting in heaven for eternity. What are you going to do in heaven for eternity? First picture I ever had of heaven, first imagination, I mean, that I ever had of heaven was it would be filled with the praises of God. Somebody in my Sunday school class told me it would be filled with the praises of God. And they, the teacher went on to say something to the effect that we'll spend all of eternity praising God. And I thought, man, I can't think of anything more boring than that. I'm not really a praiser. I'm not a singer, and you don't want to hear me try. And so I'm thinking, man, if eternity is just me singing songs to God, he's not going to like that much. 
Well, that's just foolishness. God's got a plan for you that will keep you more excited, more energized, more enthused than anything you've ever been involved in in your life. Well, what could that be? I have no clue. I just know it will take him ages to show you. Ages to come. Well, how many ages have there been? Well, we know how many there's been since Adam and Eve, but we don't know how many ages there were before that. We know of one that the Bible intimates or hints at, but there may have been 10 before that. There may have been 100 before that. There may be thousands after this one is over. And it's going to take God every bit of that time, every bit of eternity to show you how kind he is and how good and how gentle he is towards you. That's what this verse says. So before any of that was ever planned, before any of that was ever carried out or any action to to, to carry it out was ever made, God had a plan and that plan was for you to be his child, for you to be redeemed and stand before him holy and blameless. His plan was for you. Now, folks, please understand, this was not his plan when you got saved. This was not his plan for you when you were born into this earth. This was his plan for you before the world was ever created. His plan was for you to be holy, blameless, without sin. Your complete sanctification with him through Christ Jesus according as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world and that we should be holy and without blame before him now the word in love I I didn't uh, read the words in love in verse 4 because it really belongs to verse 5 in love having predestinated us under the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will In other words, it says that God chose you and he predestinated you. Now, let's talk about predestination for a little bit. You look in the, uh, I think it's the revised version. There are some other translations perhaps that do as well. But I think it's the revised version that instead of using the word predestinated, they use the word foreordained. Now, we've got to answer some questions, and that is this. If we're going to understand God correctly and properly, we're going to have to answer some questions. And that is, what does predestination mean? The Bible says that God predestined us to be in Christ. It says that he chose us. The words chosen and predestination and election are all part of the the overall doctrine of election. And there's two main thoughts, two schools of thoughts on this. One is that God chooses who will be saved and who will not be saved. They'll use scriptures like this, that we were predestinated. Who's Paul writing to? Well, he's writing to Christians. So that's some will take these verses of Scripture and say, well, that means, therefore, that God has predestined all Christians to be saved. But what about people that aren't saved? That would have to mean that they're predestined to go to hell. Right? And the, the thought, the doctrine of election that's understood by much of the fundamental portion of the church is that God is picking heaven and hell for individuals. Well, you can really run crazy with this idea because if it's all up to God on whether or not somebody gets saved, then what what difference does it make whether we preach the gospel? Because if if God's going to make sure that people get saved, why do we preach? Paul said concerning the preaching of the gospel, he said, I become all things to all men that I might win some. Well, Paul's the one writing this. Does he not know that God's the one picking and choosing? 
What's he trying to win them for? Now, the problem with predestination and election is most of the church world sees it. And by that, I mean, let me define my terms. By that, I mean salvation is wholly and, and totally dependent on the will of God, not the will of man. If that's the case, then we have a problem and an answer, something that we have to seriously consider and answer for ourselves if we're going to have a right understanding of God. And that is, why is God not strong enough to bring about his will? Because 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 4 clearly says that it's the will of God for all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So you're going to have to conclude one of two things where the doctrine of election and predestination is concerned. And that is, it is either God's will for everybody to be saved, like 1 Timothy 2, 4 says, and he's not strong enough to pull it off. Or salvation is not solely dependent on the will of God. That's the only two options there is. Which one is it? Well, I'm not going to stand before God and say, God, I don't think you're strong enough to pull off your will. And interestingly enough, the very same group of the church that says that God's picking and choosing who goes to heaven and who goes to hell are the ones that say the will of God is paramount, sacrosanct. Nothing is above the will of God. If God wants it, that's the way it's going to be. Well, what about this? The Bible says that's the way God wants it. God wants everybody to be saved. So how do, we how do we conclude this? What do we conclude about this? Well, the word predestination does not mean foreordained. It does not mean predetermined. It does not mean this is the way God has set it up and this is what's going to happen no matter what. It means pre-designed or pre-planned. So what it means very simply is this, is that God planned us. He chose before the foundations of the world through the plan of redemption that he'd already come up with. He chose for all of mankind to be made holy and righteous by the blood of Jesus and the sacrifice that was to yet to come. Was yet to come when he planned it has been accomplished through the finished work of Jesus in modern times, 2,000 years ago. He pre-planned for everybody to be saved. Well, he pre-planned it. He made provisions for it. But what's going to make the determination whether or not somebody is saved or not their will their choice to receive or reject the finished work of Jesus on the cross that accomplished their salvation now if that's the case then it would make perfect sense that Jesus would tell the disciples and you and me too to go into all the world and preach the gospel he that believeth and is baptized that believes and receives in other words the teaching of Jesus shall be saved he that believes not shall be damned. God's not the one making the choice. Man is the one making the choice. There's only one possibility. There's only one thing that fits the truth of the word. And that is God pre-planned. He pre-designed a means of salvation, a means of righteousness, a means for every person to stand holy and without blame before him. And that means that method, that way, is Jesus and his sacrifice. Join Mike Webb and Foothill Family Church every Sunday night at 6 p.m. for our weekly healing school. Healing school is for those who are in need of being healed from sickness in their body, as well as those who want to strengthen their faith in the area of healing. 
Now, whatever somebody, you or me or somebody else might think of why Jesus healed the sick, Matthew 8, 17 tells us why he healed everybody that was sick. Jesus healed all that were sick that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. Foothill Family Church is in Orange County at the corner of Bake Parkway and Lake Forest Drive, just minutes off the 5 Freeway. To learn more about how you and your family can connect with Foothill Family Church, simply log on to mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. First thing, right out of the, right out of the gate, that's what Paul talks about. God's pre-planned before the foundations of the world. Having predestinated us, again, verse 5, under the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Why did God do this? Because he wanted to. Why did God make a way for you to be righteous before him? Because he wanted to. Why did God make the blood of Jesus a sacrifice, a worthy sacrifice for every person to be born again, no matter where they came from, no matter what they did beforehand? Because he wanted to. Yeah, but when I heard the good news, I wanted to get saved. Well, that's good, but that's not what made it available. It's simply because God wanted to. Now, who did he do this for? Who did he want this for? He wanted it for you. We have a tendency to say, well, God wanted all of mankind to come to him, and I just happened to be born. But he didn't really want me individually. And nothing could be further from the truth. God wanted you as his child. If you were the only living human being on the face of the earth, Jesus would have come for you. Because it was God's plan. Before the foundation of the world, he chose you. We think we chose God. And in one sense we did. It was our will to accept the work of Jesus. And to accept the, the free gift of salvation. That was our choice. That was our will. But God made it available because he chose you first and foremost. Do you realize something? Do you realize how, how ineffective salvation is? The finished work of Jesus is for somebody that rejects him? It's only worthwhile for the person who receives the precious blood of Jesus, the ransom price of all ransom prices is worthless unless you accept. To the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he has made us accepted in the beloved. Two things I want you to see in this. Where he says to the praise of the glory of his grace, here again Paul's got his hands raised, you know, in, uh, symbolically I guess. Praising God for his plan of redemption. What this literally means is, through the sentence structure and the grammar and the way that it's set apart or set up, it literally means this. It means in the ages to come, when God's going to show you the riches of his grace and the goodness of his, his, uh, his own nature and the blessings that, that, uh, that we can't even yet imagine, of all of those things, the thing that will be of utmost praiseworthy is his plan of redemption. Folks, eternity is going to be fun. Eternity is going to be productive. Eternity is going to be fruitful. Eternity is going to be something that you're going to think, wow, and I thought I liked stuff on earth. 
It's going to be something that brings joy and peace and, and, and well, I hate to use the word feelings because we'll have a different body then and I'm not sure how feelings are going to work. But a, a sense, a feeling of excitement and life like nothing you can imagine. But the greatest thing of all is to recognize that it was God's plan of redemption that brought it about. It's like God's been putting, putting uh, uh, he's been passing time, if you'll allow me to say it this way. It's like God has been passing time thousands and thousands and thousands of years to get to the place that he wants things to be. This is not the way he wants things to be. This is not his ultimate goal. Now you might say, well, what's he waiting for then? Why didn't he take us to heaven? Because he's trying to get more and more people in. But that's not his job. That's our job. Our job is to reach them. His job is to work on their hearts. But he doesn't have any hearts to work on if we don't reach them. But this is not the way that God intended things to be. Sure, he knew that they'd go this way. He, he, he prophesied them. He told us, foretold us about how things would go. But this is not what God had in mind. Please understand, this world is not what God planned. It's not the way he wants it. It's not going to be the way things are when he's in charge. No matter what other Christian groups say. God's ultimate plan is the un, uh, unspeakable riches and glory in heaven. That's God's plan. That's what he wants for us. No wonder when Paul got a glimpse, he said, I was caught into a place that I didn't have words to speak. I saw and heard things that, that are not lawful. King James says they're not lawful to utter. That's really not what the language means. It means I don't have any words to describe what I saw. And he just got a glimpse. We don't know how long he was caught up into heaven, but he just got a little glimpse, a little taste, and he said, wow, I don't know how to describe that. Well, how could you not know how to describe what you saw unless it was so much better than what you saw or have anything as a point of reference here? So when the time comes, Paul says, I'm ready to go. It's better for you for me to stay. He wrote to the Philippians, it's better for you if I stay here, but I want to go because to depart and be with Christ is far better. I'm sure he's remembering when he was caught up into heaven and saw that stuff he can't even relate to here on the earth. He said, I want to go there. I have a firm belief about some of the folks, and that is one of the reasons God doesn't show us heaven any more than he does is because you'd be no good for earth if you saw it. What would hold you here? There's an attraction to heaven, folks, that can't be described by anything here on the earth. It's the presence of God. The presence of God draws you. Remember how the Bible says the Holy Ghost, nobody said of the Holy Ghost, nobody can come to him except my Father, meaning the Holy Spirit can draw him. There's a drawing, there's an attraction, there's a pull that heaven has on us. Most of us aren't aware of it because we're living such natural lives. There's a pull to heaven. Paul said, I don't even know how to describe that. To the praise of his glory, the glory of his grace. In other words, the things that God's going to be praised for, for all eternity. It's not going to be a matter of, okay, sing song number 32. It's going to be something that you're going to love and appreciate and experience in heaven 
so that you will be constantly reminded, if not for God's plan of redemption, I wouldn't be here. If, God, if not for God's chosen plan, plan to choose me before the foundations of the world, I wouldn't even be here. It'll be a constant reminder. It won't be something anybody has to prompt you to praise God about. It'll be a constant thing for all of us because we'll enjoy every second. If there are seconds in heaven, we will enjoy every second of what we're experiencing. Does this make any sense? To the praise of his glory, of, of the glory of his grace, wherein he has made us accepted in the beloved. In, uh, wherein he has made us accepted in the beloved. You remember when Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration? Luke chapter 9, verse 35, I think it is. Jesus is on the Mount of Transfiguration and suddenly Moses and Elijah appear. They've been in Abraham's bosom. It's the only place for them to be after the death of their bodies. They've been in Abraham's bosom and they appear before Jesus. Peter gets all excited. He says, man, this is great. Let's build three temples, three tabernacles. One for Moses and Elijah and one for us. Go figure, you know. I guess he's trying to say, I don't ever want this to end. I don't know what he's trying to get to. But suddenly there's a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son. Hear him. Here where it says, and again, this is right out of the gate. Paul is not, he's not uh, expounding on any doctrine that he's trying to, to reveal. He's just talking about the plan of redemption kind of an, from an overview standpoint to start with. And he said that we've been made accepted in the beloved according to the praise of the glory of his grace. One translation says it this way, and the, and the language is really accurate on this. It says we've been begraced in his beloved son. We've been begraced in his beloved son. Just like God said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. He's saying you have an equal standing with that. You have an equal standing with the one that God said from heaven, this is my beloved son. Accepted in the beloved means you're accepted in him just like Jesus was accepted of the father. It means God looks down on you with the same willingness, the same desire, the same love, the same mercy, the same kindness, and the same power that he looked upon Jesus. If there could be a voice from heaven concerning you and only you, you say, this is my beloved son or my beloved daughter. That's what it means to be accepted in the beloved. It means to be equal, joint heirs with Christ, equal in every way. Let me ask you a question. If the Bible is true, and it is, but if the Bible is true where it says you are a joint heir with Christ, what does that mean Jesus is ahead of you in? There's only one thing, and that's accomplishment. He's ahead of you in that he's accomplished things on the cross that you and I need never accomplish, couldn't, and don't need to. But what else is he ahead of you in? You're a joint heir. Joint heir means equal heir. It means co-heir. If you've got two people that are co-heirs or joint heirs of an estate, that means they get an equal share. That means one doesn't get more than the other. That means they both get the same thing. That means if something is liquidated, then they split the money half and half, 50-50. When the Bible says that we're joint heirs with Christ, it means you are equal with Jesus in every way. Now, when I think about that, I don't want it to be that way. 
because I recognize Jesus' sacrifice. I recognize his accomplishments. And so I think of it like, well, I don't want to be equal with Jesus because I want Jesus to have all the praise and all the glory and all the honor. He will. But as far as what belongs to us, and that's the part that I was talking about before, every second in eternity, we'll be praising Jesus for his accomplishments, for, his, for, for finishing the plan of redemption. God created the plan. He came up with the plan. Jesus accomplished it. The Holy Ghost reveals it. So every second in heaven, I mean, every time you see Jesus, I'm not sure exactly how this is going to work, but if Jesus is in a different part of heaven than you are, every time you see him, you're going to be saying, thank you so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Now, in my natural thinking, that would get annoying. But God being God, somehow it's all going to work out. I don't know. So the things that we think naturally, the things that we think carnally about, well, we have to be careful because we want to make sure that we give Jesus the preeminent place. You don't have to worry about that. He will always have the preeminent place. Should now, but certainly will for eternity in heaven. So when the Bible talks about being joint heirs with Christ, equal heirs, co-heirs, and, and really even the word inheritance where it talks about inheritance in a few more verses, it's the word heritage. In other words, it's saying just like Abraham's natural children were of his heritage and therefore recipients of his inheritance in the same way because you are in Christ accepted in the beloved. You're of God's heritage. There's no stepchild relationship here. There's no adoption relationship like we think of in the natural sense of adoption. It's true heritage. He's made you accepted in the beloved. Now, why? Because he wanted to. How, how many of you appreciate, or in other words, want to be in the family of God? God wants you more than you ever wanted him. God wanted you before you ever will want him. And here's the important part. Here's the, the staggering part to me. When you get to heaven and realize how wonderful everything is, when you see with your eyes wide open no hindrances of the flesh or the natural mind or the thinking or whatever, when you get to heaven and see what God's original plan of salvation and redemption was all about and see how wonderful it is, he still wanted you more than you wanted that. When you want the blessings of God in your life, when you want healing, when you want God's provision or an answer to prayer, God still wants you to have it more than you ever wanted. Because you're accepted and beloved. Jesus ever have any needs go unmet? How come? Because he was the son of God. He was the beloved. Should you ever have any needs go unmet? Not according to the word. Because you're accepted and beloved. You've been chosen in him, folks chosen in him because of God's goodwill. When Jesus was raised from the dead, he conferred authority over the devil to the church in his name. He said, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on the earth shall be loosed in heaven. Heaven backs us up when we use the authority that's in the name of Jesus. Take authority over the devil and over your circumstances today. 
in the name of Jesus. Thanks for watching today. Come visit us at Foothill Family Church. This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Now the Bible does say that we are the purchased possession of God, but the reason we're the purchased possession of God is because we belong to Him to begin with. And the purchase price was the blood of Jesus. Join us Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Visit us online at mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word.